all. The Penguins are in first place in the Metro Division. The Penguins have won five in a row. The Penguins are 16-4-1 since the new year. The Penguins won at Columbus last night 5-2 and made it look easy. The Penguins just might be the best team in hockey again. This is the Mark Madden Show. I am the game because I am just that damn good. 412-333-WXDX is the number to call. Or you can follow me on Twitter at MarkMaddenX. Remember when the Penguins were struggling? Some of the so-called experts in this town said the team was in trouble. And Rutherford had a bad offseason. And this team needs a big trade. And blah, 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 blah. But the real experts like me noted the fatigue factor and preached patience. And here we are with the Penguins in first place and March just around the corner. It amazes me that anyone doubted this organization for even a second. It amazes me that anyone doubted Rutherford for even a second. Riley Shane is better here than he was in Detroit. Jamie Alexiak is better here than he was in Dallas. Okay, Hunwick sucks, but nobody's perfect. Rutherford has done a tremendous job with this year's team, and the trade deadline's still a week away, so perhaps he's not yet done doing it. That's right. To repeat, here we are in the middle of February, and the Penguins, again, just might be the best team. The Penguins are 10 points clear of being out the playoffs. So I'd say that perceived dilemma has been solved. Remember when people said, ah, Rutherford's got to do something. He didn't do enough in the offseason. This team is in trouble. Trade Latang. That's it. Trade Latang. And then all those people ran out and started pay websites. Did you get your subscription? On Friday, we talked about how David Fries of the Pirates questioned whether or not the organization wants to win. Thank you, Captain Obvious. And then yesterday, Josh Harrison did the same thing. But that won't change anything. A billionaire doesn't care what his employees think. And it's very telling that today, when Nutting spoke to the Pirates at spring training, as he does every year, not one Pirate asked Bob Nutting a question. Not one Pirate asked Bob Nutting a question. You might as well kiss his ring. I will talk more about that a bit later. The Pirates are set up for a real bad season. It's the first couple days of spring training, and already the Pirates are caked in drama. The Steelers are good enough to mostly deal with that. The Pirates are not. Oh, and one of the pitchers the Pirates got for Garrett Cole, that Musgrove, he already has a bad arm. Yes, the Buccos are off to a flying start. But the Penguins are the topic du jour. They just swatted aside Columbus like a fly last night, although Jari was pretty busy in goal and acquitted himself very well. 
And on Saturday at PPG Paints Arena, the Leafs came at the Penguins fast and furious. Boy, the Leafs can skate, and they got firepower up front. But at day's end, Toronto was just another victim. Uh, There were a whole bunch of Leafs fans at the game, and they ain't won for so long. Uh, 1967, the last cup, only six teams in the league then. Uh, The Leafs ain't won for so long. Their fans overreact to every goal Toronto gets. So it was nice to see the Penguins win at the end and those jerks get their comeuppance. Although it could have been different if Austin Matthews had buried the shots he should have. Matthews missed a couple sitters and Matt Murray played a real strong game in goal. So if you want to get the Penguins top going, Dial 412-333-WXDX. Do it now. Do it fast. And do it because I want to talk hockey. That's 412-333-WXDX. The Penguins are in first place. The Washington Capitals do have three games in hand. I don't think it's imperative for the Penguins to finish first. It never has been. But second would be nice with home ice for that first round. Right now, it would be the Penguins and New Jersey in the first round. New Jersey is in that first wild card spot, and the New York Islanders are in the second. I expect the New York Islanders to make a big impact in the trade market because the Islanders feel like they need to make the playoffs to hold on to John Tavares, their best player, who's going to be a free agent. But I bet Tavares goes elsewhere no matter what. In fact, I'm predicting even now. He will head to Toronto. A a lot of stuff happened over the weekend that I simply do not care about. Somebody won the Daytona 500. Somebody always does, right? Uh, Whoever it was drove the number three car, which Dale Earnhardt Sr. used to drive. So symbolism is being attached, however silly. The Olympics are still going on, but I don't give a rat's ass about none of that. Uh, The U.S. plays Slovakia tonight in a men's hockey playoff game. Which is weird, because they played them already in the round robin. That's an odd tournament format. Uh, The women's final is the U.S. and Canada in hockey. Wow, never saw that coming. And they had the NBA All-Star game. And Fergie mangled the national anthem. They should have flown in Jeff Jimerson. I have such mixed feelings about women's hockey. Because when the U.S. and Canada play each other, It's great, but every other matchup sucks. The result, predetermined. Uh, There are so very few good women's hockey players, and that's evidenced by the fact that there's not a pro women's league of any significant caliber by way of attracting fans. There's a a four-team American league, the uh, National Women's Hockey League. The players make like 10K a season, and attendance sucks. But I will watch that game Thursday, the women's final, Canada and USA, USA. Oh, and in ice dancing, a French skater's boob popped out of her costume. That's what you get when you partner up with Timberlake. Oh, and a member of the Russian curling team got busted for using PEDs. Why does a guy who sweeps with a broom need to use PEDs. You don't hear about many janitors doping here in America, but that's part of the culture in Russia. 
It's a doping culture for sports, and that's why Russian athletes should not have been allowed to participate in these Olympics, not under any flag. They cheat. Uh, back to hockey for just a second. Devontae smith Pally of the Washington Caps was the victim of racist chants by fans in Chicago. He's a black guy playing hockey, and they were chanting, basketball, basketball. Uh, that sucks. It, just really terrible. And those fans should be banned for life from the United Center. Now, if he was fat, they called him a fat pig, that'd be okay. That is always okay. Uh, tomorrow is the first day the Steelers can franchise Le'Veon Bell, but I'm assuming that will not happen just yet. Here's a tweet from our buddy Andy Benoit from Sports Illustrated about Lev Bell. Andy tweets, I think Le'Veon Bell is as valuable as any running back in the NFL that said his longest run last year was 27 yards. Will that impact how the Steelers view him? I definitely think it should. Bell's yards per carry stat last year was the second worst of his career. His yards per cat stat was the second worst of his career. Like Benoit tweeted, Bell's long run was just 27 yards, and he only had four runs of 20 yards or more, which isn't so good. To me, the only two options with Bell are to franchise him and then absorb all the accompanying drama, franchise him or let him walk. Those are the two options. If I run the Steelers, a long-term deal isn't an option. Bell's been a workhorse too long. Even at 26, I'm concerned about his wheels falling off because Tomlin and the Steelers have set up that happening. We got Jonathan Momboli of the Trib. He joins me at the bottom of the hour to talk hockey, specifically potential Penguin trade targets. Uh, the media in Canada is saying the Penguins might have their eye on Thomas Placonic for Montreal, but I, I just don't see that as a guy the Penguins should want. His stats are a lot worse than Shane's. So we'll talk to JB about potential trade targets, who the Penguins would and wouldn't like to give up in return. Then at 4.30, the two-time Stanley Cup champion, he is the old 2-9er, Phil Bork. Uh, next up, I'm going to take a good hard look at Riley Shane's stats, compare what he's doing to what Nick Benino did, and look at how Phil Kessel's done with Shane as his center because that is perhaps the most important part of this equation. I'm Mark Madden, 1059 X. Yes, Mark Madden. That's correct. It's organized chaos. Super genius. I just diddled my lips on live radio for 30 seconds, and you all listened. The X at 105.9. It's double M on the X. Penguins with a good win last night at Columbus. Uh, not an easy win, but the result was never in doubt either. And for a team that really needs every point it can get, and was playing at home and has such a great goalie in Bobrovsky, who wasn't so great last night, Columbus put up surprisingly little resistance to the Penguins. Now, let's talk Riley Shane. To your mind, has he earned the number three center spot 
with the way he's played recently. Shane got two goals last night at Columbus. That gives him eight goals on the year. And Shane's got five goals and seven assists since the new year. That's uh, 12 points in 21 games. The knee-jerk reaction might be, especially after last night, okay, Shane's the guy. He can be the third-line center. And that also might wind up being the reality if a deal's not out there to do better. And I'm not sure one is. So let's look at Shane's stats per game this year versus Benino's numbers from last year. Shane is averaging .42 points per game since joining Pittsburgh. Benino averaged .46 points per game last year. That's a negligible difference. But besides comparing the stats of Benino and Shane, let's consider also Phil Kessel's stats playing 5-on-5. Five five. Kessel has 14 points at even strength since the new year. 14 even strength points in 21 games. That's two-thirds of a point per game. Kessel also has just one point period in his last six games, and that is playing on Shane's wing primarily. So to me, that's the big issue when you make a decision about the third-line center spot. Can Kessel produce enough, five-on-five, with Riley Shane as his center? Because right now, Kessel is not. But the reality is, Kessel might have to. The Penguins might not be able to make a deal for an upgrade. Uh, I do think Shane's been playing well. He certainly played well last night. But sometimes it's merely about who gets hot, not about who's good. Case in point, when Nick Benino first got to Pittsburgh, he sucked. Benino had 16 points in his first 54 games as a Penguin. And then Benino got hot and definitely proved himself as a good playoff performer. HBK, HBK, and he got big money from Nashville. But Benino very much started out in Pittsburgh as a guy we weren't sure about. Shane is kind of on the same path. Let's hope the final destination is the same. Uh, Speaking of getting hot, Jake Gensel scored last night. Good shot. A pinpoint cannon to the short side. Bobrovsky still should have stopped it, but uh, that's as good a shot as Gensel can take from there, and he was rewarded when it went in. Uh, Gensel now has four goals in his last seven games. That's not exactly toward, but it's pretty good and much better. Uh, Benino was the wild card in 2016. Gensel was the wild card in 2017. Who'd have thought a rookie was going to get 13 goals in the playoffs? So it's encouraging to see Gensel score some goals. And he is on Shane's line, too. Uh, anyway, back to the debate about the third-line center. Derek Broussard from Ottawa, he would cost too much. Pajot, also from Ottawa. Or Latestu from Edmonton, wouldn't be good enough. As I said in the show's open, I've heard Polkanek's name mentioned for Montreal, but... Placanic, the guy's got five goals and 16 assists in 58 games on the entire season. 
five goals and 16 assists uh, on the entire season. Shane's doing better than that. He has five goals since the turn of the year. Uh, the player I hear the most about, I don't know whether that makes him the most probable acquisition, but the player I hear the most about is Michael Grabner from the New York Rangers, and he's a wing. He's over 20 goals this year. He's, you know, a, a decent player and a great skater. He's in the last year of his deal, and he's only a prorated cap hit of $1.65 million. I wouldn't mind getting that guy if the price was cheap, and it probably would be. The Rangers are trying to have that clearance sale, but uh, they got a bunch of guys that are overpriced that nobody really wants. They're going to have to take what they can get for a lot of guys, and for the Penguins' benefit, let's hope that Michael Grabner is one of them. We've got Jonathan Bomboli at the bottom of the hour. That's just a few minutes away. And also later on, I'm going to talk about what Freeze and Harrison said that Pirates' ownership doesn't care about winning games. Well, no duh. But it's worth noting that today at spring training, when Nutting talked to the players, not one of them asked him any questions at all. Not about his intent or payroll, not about anything. So when in the presence of the guy who signs the checks, the collective testicles of all those assembled shrunk up very, very small. And that includes Freese's and Harrison's, who were being hailed as a latter-day Thomas Paine in some Pittsburgh media circles. Yeah, sure, it was common sense, but it was not breaking news. And why didn't they say anything to Nutting today when they had the chance face-to-face? Jonathan Bumbully up next, 105.9. And now the super genius, Mark Madden. I'm one of a kind on the radio. Thank you for being the best damn radio host in Pittsburgh. It's a family affair. The X at 105.9. Joining me now from TribLive.com, for whom he covers the Penguins, we welcome Jonathan Bomboli. Uh, JB, is Shane playing his way into keeping that spot at number three center? What's he have to do, and do you think he's doing it? I'm glad you asked me that, Mark, because I just finished a story that will go online shortly about that very topic. Um, and I was talking to Jim Rutherford about that the other day. And, I, and the way he explained it to me, and I believe him, is that um, – he's obviously thrilled with the way Shane's playing. I mean, you know, I, I looked up some numbers, and, and I know numbers are great on the radio, so I'll try to keep it real simple. But um, if you look at five-on-five five points per 60 minutes of ice time, Malkin leads the team, as you'd expect. Kessel is second, as you'd expect. Wiley Shane is third, ahead of Sidney Crosby. So his offense has been better than anybody expected. He could fill that third-line role. But what Rutherford's going to do is he's going to weigh the costs and the benefits of picking up a player, and then he's going to get the best center he can. So if that center, you know, that he feels comfortable with. So if that center bumps Shane down to the fourth line, it bumps him down to the fourth line. If it keeps him on the third line, it keeps him on the third line. The point is you get the best player you're comfortable getting um, and go from there. Uh, yeah, that's a good point about uh, Shane's numbers. And and uh, here's another set of stats to look at. Benino was subpar production-wise until the end of his first season in Pittsburgh, which was 15-16. Shane has done more so far than Benino did at the same point. Now, that doesn't mean Shane's going to pick it up 
and be a playoff hero like Benito was, but it also means uh, you never know. And that's very inexact, but you do never know. Well, he's definitely a good enough player to help you in the playoffs. Now, now, you know, like you said, is he going to do, is he going to find, is the Kessel, you know, Gensel, Shea, and Kessel going to be the next HBK? That, that's sort of a lot to ask out of any line. But is he going to make your team better? I think the answer to that is yes. I mean, whether he's playing third line or fourth line, you know he's a top 20 in the league in faceoff percentage. The Penguins have the best penalty kill in the league since December 1st. He leads the team in shorthanded ice time. I mean, he's doing all kinds of good things. So I almost look at it as two separate issues. Like, it was an October trade that was a win, and now we're going to see a, a February trade that's going to be almost completely separate. Like, it only tangentially really has anything to do with Riley Shea. Hey, there's more to do with Carter Rowney. Well, let's stay with Carter Rowney. You took uh, that notion right out of my head. Uh, Carter Rowney, I think, is a ham and egger. I, I don't think he's much at all. But he's a right-handed face-off option and really the only one on the team. How much will that do to keep him in the lineup, even if they do get another center? I mean, might they then move Ronnie to wing? Totally. I think that's an option. Um, yeah, especially shorthanded. Like, he, he's not just a right-handed face-off guy. He's a good right-handed face-off guy. Yeah, what, what, like what 5-0 and last night on draws. Right, and I think he's 20 of his last 25 on shorthanded draws. So, I mean, that's a very specialized thing, obviously. You know, do you, do you want to – is that enough – to justify one of your 12 spots at forward in a playoff lineup. Uh, maybe depending on the opponent, maybe depending on the situation, um, but I definitely like him a lot better as a, as a, as a fourth-line right wing than a fourth-line center. Um, so, you know, he, he has a very, very particular set of skills, and, and I don't know that, you know, if, if there's enough all-around game there to justify keeping him in the lineup. Now, let me run a few possible acquisitions by you, JB, and tell me what you've heard and how much that helped if they did come to Pittsburgh. First off, Michael Grabner from the New York Rangers. I don't think of the Penguins as needing a wing, but if they want one, he'd be a pretty good fit, wouldn't he? Yeah, I mean, he, style of play-wise, he fits. Um, speaking generally, I can tell you that, that you know my sense is that um, Rutherford's going to be in on all this. Every probably every name you mention, he's going to be in on. He's going to talk to everybody and talk to everybody twice. Um, it's just a matter of you know making a salary cap fit. What do you want to get rid of from a team that's sixteen four and one since January first? Stuff like that. Um, as far as adding, I mean, I think this isn't exactly you know this is Captain Obvious territory, but a center is a priority over a winger. Um, but when you use that same standard that I talked about with Shea, which is. Does he help your team win in the playoffs? Um, holy cow, Michael Grabner would fit that. I mean, you put him on one line and then Hagelin on another and Brian Rust on another, and all of a sudden you're just flying all over the place. So he doesn't make that much either. He makes under $2 million. So I think he is a realistic guy to talk about this week. A new entry in the sweepstakes is Thomas Blakonich from Montreal. You hear his name. But, JB, I don't see it. His stats are much worse than Shane's. He's 35. I don't see him as a good fit. I don't know. I mean, he used to be a top six guy. So um, if, you're, if your whole idea was get a guy who could play with Kessel uh, because he's used to playing with skilled wingers, that sort of is, is a mark in Placanix's favor. Um, he also does, you know, he's a good, good face-off guy, good defensive centerman. The problem with him is he makes $6 million bucks, so you'd have to, you know, Montreal would have to keep retain a lot of that salary. And, and you know, like you're, you're talking about, 
the Penguins are practically in dollar in, dollar out territory. So if you're going to get rid of a player, I mean, every, everybody's, you know, would be perfectly comfortable with Matt Hunwick moving on to free up $2 million. But then if you've got to move another player, you know, Connor Sherry's the guy that people always mention because they have some depth on the wing and he would be sort of, you know, most expendable, I guess. You going to move out of Connor Sherry so you can bring in Thomas Placanich? I don't think so. I'd love to get Derek Broussard from Ottawa, but Ottawa's going to want too much, aren't they? I don't know. I mean, the, in, when I talked to Rutherford about this the other day, he said it's really difficult to predict what the market's going to do as you get closer to the deadline. If, if they get to the point where, you know, they, they realize they're going to either get nothing or something, then you can swoop in and make that kind of a deal. I, I wouldn't rule it out. To me, he is, Broussard is the most, that's the big ticket item. You know, if if you're gonna if you're gonna if the Penguins um, if you're gonna wake up on February 27th and say the Penguins made a big splash, it's gonna be because they went after and got Broussard. To me, that's the because it just it fits in a lot of different ways. And yeah, you'd have to he signed for another year after this year, so it wouldn't be pure rental. Um, you know, he, he gives you that depth at the center position. I feel like Rutherford would be more comfortable giving up a good prospect or draft pick to get a guy that he has for another year. So to me, that's the that's sort of the big fish on this pond as far as the Penguins are concerned. We're talking to Jonathan Momboli. He covers the Pens for TrimLive.com. Uh, what assets would the Penguins be most likely to part with, and what assets might be most in demand by other teams? Well, um, you know, Rutherford said that he he's you know he's he said basically what every GM says in this position, which is um, I want to keep my first round pick. I want to keep my top prospects. But, you know, when it comes right down to it, that, when the rubber meets the road, that, that's who we're talking about here. So we're talking about a first-round pick. We're talking about Daniel Sprong. Um, maybe talking about Gustafson, the goalie. Because, to me, um, he has a thing where Gustafson was so good in the World Juniors, and uh, you know how that works. Somebody that plays well in the World Juniors, like all of Canada goes completely insane over it. So that kid, you know, he might end up being a great goalie. He might not, but his value is never going to be higher. So, you, to me, those are the assets – um, that we're talking about. And I feel like from, from what Rutherford has said, um, for a pure rental, I don't think he moves any of those three. But for a guy who's got some term on his deal, I think he does. I wouldn't trade Sprong because I like what he does and I love his potential. I just love scores, JB. But if they don't like him, maybe they might as well because I get no sense that his stock is rising in any way. Well, I mean, he's having a pretty good year in minors. I mean, he's not his stock isn't falling. Um, you know, he is what he well, is. No, I don't mean or, stock in terms of value in a trade. I mean, what the Penguins think of him. Oh, well, yeah, that's true. I mean, they, they, you know, they haven't moved off their position of this guy needs to smooth out the rough edges in his game. Um, I don't think they're unhappy with him. I don't think you know. I, I think there's a narrative out there that Sullivan doesn't like him. I, I, you know, it's not personal. Um, I don't know if he likes his game. Um, you know, and that's the kind of thing a 20 year old can evolve and change. So, but there's the, the, the here's the most, to me, this is the, the biggest thing about Sprung. There does, it's, it's a, a very important skill for a general manager to have to know when to cut bait on a prospect. It's, and if, if a general manager is good at it, um, he can really help his team. Like I always thought that, um, Craig Patrick held onto those guys too long and they ended up losing their value. Um, you know, and, 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 you know, you could argue in the case of Derek Pouliot, Rutherford did the same thing, held on to him too long when he lost a lot of his value. So they're, they're knowing, 
you know, that feel for do you move him now because he's not going to, you know, develop or, or do you hang on to him because he is going to develop? That's, you know, that's how you separate the men from the boys in the GM business, making the right decision in that particular spot. Is Zach Aston Reese going to stick the rest of the season, JB? And what's he been like as a fit for Sid? Yeah, I mean, I would have said, you know, a week ago I would have said no, that he was just kind of getting a taste. Um, but he's been so good around the net. And I think, okay, the idea that I think Sid needs, obviously he needs some speed on his line. And Aston Reese doesn't provide that. So if you're gonna, if he's gonna play on Sid's line, that right wing better have some wheels. So the idea that Hornquist gets healthy and plays with with Sid and Aston Reese, I don't know that that works. I think he Sid could play with Aston Reese or Hornquist, but not both. Um, so, you know, and the to me, I think in the long run, I mean, it's it's really nice that Sid can sort of elevate these AHL call ups like he has. It's great. And, and because he can do that, you have the luxury of playing Gensel and, and Kessel on your third line, which is insane. Um, but in the long run, I don't think you should be asking Sid to do that all the time. I think, you know, by the time you get to the playoffs, I think you've got to get Gensel back up under the, into that top-line mix. I think it's just, I mean, Sid can do it, and, and, and he's never going to publicly complain about it. Um, but I just think it's, you're, you're asking too much out of him to just continually elevate, elevate, elevate. I think you need somebody that can, you know, play on the same wavelength. Well, speaking of, of line combinations, part of me wants to put Kessel back with Malkin, but that's for Phil's sake. It, it might make Gino shoot less and pass more, which would be bad right now because Gino has 19 goals in 19 games. I think a lot of it right now is going to be situational. Like I think that you know, if they're behind in a game, they're going to put those two together, and if they're ahead in a the game, they're going to keep them apart. I think Sully likes to do that. Like I think that plays into the discussion of the, of the center they're going to acquire too, because I think he he likes to have that control where he can, you know, kind of tinker a little bit and, and use option A for this situation and option B for this situation. Like to me, I'd the center I'd want to acquire, even if it's just a, like a million dollar fourth line guy that's just for depth. It is a guy who's offensive because then, you know, like the example I'd use is Dayarnay with the Rangers or the Derek Ryan kid in Carolina, because then if you're Sullivan, you got your bottom six centermen, you got a defensive one and an offensive one. And depending on the situation and the time of game and score, you can deploy them differently. And I think Sully's got a little bit of mad scientist in him where he likes to do that. He likes to say, all right, this shift, we're going to go Malkin and Kessel. Um, you know, this shift we're going to go Shea and Kessel, basically depending on what he wants out of that particular shift. It's kind of a, um, you know, it's a control thing. A coach has more control over his lineup when he's able to make those switches. How's Latang playing lately? It seems like his game is gathering some consistency. Yeah, a little bit. And first of all, whenever we talk about almost any player, um, that, that there's been improvement since, the first of January, because the whole team's getting better. Like you, you can talk about Matt Murray; it's the same thing. You can talk about like literally anyone, um, and it's the rising tide theory and all that. And and it's absolutely true. They, they're they're playing a more aggressive style, and a more aggressive style favors Latang. You know, he's going to get up in the play more. They're not doing as much. You know, sit back in D zone, lay and pray and block shots. That's not Latang's game anyway. So I think that the style of play in the last six weeks works better with Latang, and that, that explains a lot of why he looks better. Um, 
But, you know, I mean, it's the same story with, with Tang and his whole career probably and probably every offensive defenseman. It's all about decision-making. you got to decide, you know, when it's worth it to, to take the risk and when it's, it's more prudent to dump a puck in. And uh, the fewer mistakes you make in that respect, the better off you're going to be. And lately we've seen fewer mistakes out of Latang, so there you go. And finally, would Rutherford and Sullivan be comfortable going into the playoffs with the team they have right now if it would come to that? I don't think so because, and my evidence is the roundy ice time. Like, I mean, to me, Sullivan, Sullivan's never going to like come out and say, hey, Jim, go get me a center. Um, but the, the minutes that Rowney gets at even strength is, is a cry for help. I mean, really, if you look at it. I mean, you know, he, he's only playing a couple minutes a game at even strength. Um, they're double shifting mostly Crosby, but also a little bit of Malkin in with the fourth-line wingers to limit Rowney's shifts. He likes what Rowney does shorthanded, but even strength, um, he's just hesitant to play him. And to me, that, that, that ice time total right there says, you know, Sully wants him a center. Um, doesn't that, but here's the thing, though. I, I, while I think Rutherford has told me he's all in, and, and that's a, a meaningless phrase, really. I mean, you can define that however you want. But what, here's how I define it. He's going to be in on everything. He's going to try to make as significant a move as he can. Um, but if it comes right down to it, and all he has to, and all he's able to do without wrecking, it, like I said, a team that's sixteen four and one since January first, if all he's able to do is add a depth center, um, this team with a good depth center can contend for a Stanley Cup championship. So to me, that's the baseline. Anything you get above that, gravy. JB, great stuff. Thanks for the insight. Sure, my pleasure. That's Jonathan Momboli. Check out his work at triplive.com. We got more hockey talk next time with the old two niner, Phil Bork. I'm Mark Madden, 105.9. And now, the super genius, Mark Madden. Double M, what's up, brother? Hey, Double M. Well, I love Sally Wiggum, but not as much as soccer. I think it's the best thing I've almost ever heard. VX at 105.9. So the Penguins are in good shape. I think we'd all agree on that. They got three of the next four on the road. But the next two are at Carolina and at Florida. You'd like to think those are winnable. I love Penguins talk this time of year. The team has really come together, so let it rip. 412-333-WXDX. There's lots of amazing stories in hockey this year. Uh, Number one, Vegas with the top record in the West. An expansion team. And then you got Chicago, way out of the playoffs. And Edmonton, with the boy Wonder, way out of the playoffs. Ottawa goes from Game 7 in last year's Eastern Conference Final to way out of the playoffs. And the New York Rangers are in last place. Really, only like seven teams are out of the playoff chase, so... There aren't many sellers. A deal's going to be difficult to make. Not impossible, not hardly, but definitely difficult. I mentioned before that the Canadian media said the Penguins are looking at Placonic for Montreal, but I can't see that. Its stats are worse than Shane's. What the Canadian media does is they put themselves in Pittsburgh's shoes and say, okay, who would I want if I were the GM? They put literally 
30 or 40 seconds of thought into that process, and then whatever they come up with is passed off as a report. Uh, Nick Kiprios is very guilty of that, and so is Elliot Friedman. I don't trust either one at all. Uh, I like what Bumbuli had to say about you get a center, the best one you can, at a price you're willing to pay, and wherever he slots in is wherever he slots in. If he's better than Shane, he's the third-line center. If he's not as good as Shane, he's the fourth-line center. But I still think Ronnie's going to play come playoff time. Maybe as the fourth-line right wing. I don't know. I do know they want that right-handed face-off option in the lineup. Does that take Ronnie out of the team come playoff time? I don't know. I just know Ronnie won five faceoffs out of five last night. As Bumbuli said, he's won 20 out of his last 25, taking draws shorthanded. He's an integral part of the PK. I think he's almost certainly going to stay in the lineup. And again, that right-handed faceoff option, not a lot of people are looking at the importance of that. But I know the coach and GM think it's very important. No Quarter brought to you by CW Electrical Services. Make the switch at CWElectricalServices.com. Speaking of general managers, uh, Leslie Rutherford was giving me a hard time after the game Saturday for taking last week off. That's Jim's wife. Uh, She's a listener, which is very cool. And she was like, hey, what's up? Why'd you take off? So I guess I'm stuck behind the mic for a while because I... Hate to disappoint my listeners. Uh, There's a good story in the Post-Gazette about Duquesne basketball. And I normally go to great lengths to not talk about local college basketball because I don't think people are interested. Duquesne's lost six out of their past seven. They started out pretty good, but they're down to 15 and 12 overall and six and eight in conference play, the Atlantic 10. But the story in the Post-Gazette is about five transfers Duquesne got who aren't yet eligible, won't be till next year, and they're all apparently very good. In fact, they beat the heck out of the current first team in scrimmages. And then you got five freshmen of promise coming in and a pretty good coach in Dambrot. For the first time in a long time, it feels like there could be a legit renaissance for Duquesne basketball, which would be sweet. I'd love to see Duquesne basketball be better than Pitt. That could happen real soon. I had a decent weekend. I did a Penguins watch party last night at the Broad Street Bistro in North for sales, and it was epic. Classic. A A ton of people, great crowd, very responsive, great prime rib, and the Penguins won. So thanks to Tasso, the owner, and everybody who came out last night at the Broad Street Bistro. And I saw Zozo at Stage AE, the Led Zeppelin tribute band. That was Friday. Amazing. 17 minutes of Dazed and Confused, followed by 14 minutes of No Quarter. That is how you do it. Up next, we'll talk about what Freeze and Harrison said at spring training and why it just doesn't matter. We've also got Greg and Kenny on hold to talk Penguins. We'll get to them just around the corner here on 105.9 The X.